0: Good evening, feels like a little bit small group to be standing up here, maybe I'll come down a little closer, but uh, I'd like to start with a story actually. This was probably about almost 10 years ago, I was invited to New York to do a week of prayer and uh, in the evening meetings the different church members would come out and I was talking about the importance of God's word especially here in these last days and uh, one night, it was probably a Wednesday night or something like that in the middle of the week I saw a very tall man come in the back of the church I hadn't noticed come in before and uh, he had a very dignified sort of posture and he had this uh, felt rimmed hat and he was dressed impeccably and he just caught my attention. You sort of notice sometimes people when they come into a, a group. And during the meeting I noticed he was looking very intently at me and I had the distinct impression he, he reminded me of a gangster. He just sort of had that look, you know, dressed up and uh, his hat and everything. And after the meeting he uh, started pressing his way towards the front. He wanted to talk to me. And I thought, oh no, I wonder what I said, because he didn't crack a smile. He was just like serious and intent the whole meeting. And he finally came up and I uh, said, I have some questions I'd like to ask you. Is there a chance I can have you come up to my office tomorrow, and we can visit some? I said, "Sure, I'm free during the day. That's no problem." So he sent someone down to drive me up to his office. And the next day, I went up to uh, his building, his big tall building, and I was ushered up into the top floor. We had his uh, little presidential suite, and we sat down around the table and started talking. And this is a, the story he told me. He said that when he was about 18 or 19 years old he had discovered that the Lord had given him a a special gift for being able to make money, a lot of money, very easily. And he had started a company when he was 19, and within a few years it was a multi-million dollar company. He sold it, he invested all his money in the stock market, and then lost everything. He started another company. And within just a few years it was extremely successful, he was making lots and lots of money, he cashed out, invested it again, and lost everything. And he had done this like three or four times. He had started three or four companies successful, and then he lost his fortune every time. And, uh, and he was starting another company, and it was doing very well. It was taking off. He had all these government contracts, and things were going very well for him. And uh, he was thinking about this cycle that he had noticed in his life, and he began to start praying about it. And the Lord had begun to convict him that the reason he had kept losing this fortune, God had given him a gift, but... The reason he kept losing his fortune was that he had not really committed that gift to the Lord's work. And so he said, this time I want to do something different. I want to do something for the Lord with this new company. And he pulled out a a little chart. Now, I don't have any kind of business background, but he had a big corporate diagram. It had all these different entities. Some were non-profit, some were for-profit, some were already in existence, some were in the planning stages, some were partially in development and they're all interlocked and connected and and this big complicated business diagram. And he said what do you think about this? And I was just kind of looking at, well, you know, I didn't know exactly what to think about it. Some of the parts I could could recognize, there were uh, certain business trading deals with uh, importing products and reselling them, and that was generating funds to supply a a publishing ministry or a health ministry. And all these different pieces were sort of connected together. I didn't really know what to say. I just looked at this big puzzle, and then something caught my eye. Down in the bottom right corner of that chart, I still have a copy of it, actually, in my files at home. And in the bottom right corner, there's a little box that was part of this big diagram, and all it said was finishing the work. And so it caught my eye and I looked at it and I said, well, you know, uh, I understand what the publishing work is and I understand about the ministerial work and the health work and some of these different parts, but what is this box down in the bottom corner? And I'll never forget, he looked me right in the eyes and he said, we believe that there's a missing piece and we're leaving room in our plans for God to show us what that is. And I've thought about that over the years. We've been wanting to see the Lord come for a long time as a denomination, for 160-some years, and we're eagerly waiting to see the Lord come, and yet it just seems like, you know, what is it really going to take to finish the work? Is there maybe some missing piece, some missing key, something that uh, we've overlooked, something we need to make room for in our plans? Well, I believe there is, and that's what I'd like to talk about tonight. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew, chapter 28. And while you're turning there, I'd like to just offer up another short word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we prepare to study your word tonight, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to speak to us. make things clear and simple to our understanding that we might know what Your will is. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 28, the last two verses. If we're going to be serious about finishing the work, it makes sense to look at what the work is, what the assignment is. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 19. Very familiar passage. I know you've read it before. It's called the Great Commission, right? Go, therefore, and... Teach all nations, or some versions say, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's actually a better translation. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the work. That's what the assignment is. How do we do it? Well, there's two parts, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's the first part. And the second part is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So we're to go make disciples. We uh, hold an evangelistic series or give a Bible study or help someone to understand what the issues are, and then they make a decision. They want to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ, and they're baptized. Is that where the teaching stops? Well, that's not where it stops, right? It goes on to say that we're to take these new believers and teach them to observe everything that Christ taught. So there's a twofold process. There's the evangelism and then the training of these new believers. And by the way, this is an important point. I'll talk more about this tomorrow. But Jesus said the problem really wasn't with the evangelism. He said the harvest is, what, plenteous, but the labors are few. If we're not doing the training, the evangelism is never going to work. The evangelism has to be combined with training, the baptizing with the teaching, if we're going to see the work finished. But I want to focus in on that teaching part, the training part, the discipling part. Notice it says in verse 20, teaching them to, what's the next word? observe, maybe some of you have different versions, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever Christ commanded. What does it mean to observe? If if this is the the one thing we should be teaching every new believer, how to observe the things that Christ taught, what what should we actually be teaching them? What does that mean? Turn back just a page to Matthew 27. I've been studying this uh, theme out for a number of years, and I'm surprised at where this word shows up in some interesting places. For example, in Matthew 27, verse 54, the same exact word translated observe in the Great Commission, the thing we're supposed to teach every new Christian, teaching them to observe, it's found in Matthew 27, verse 54, the exact same word in the Greek. You can look it up when you get home and pull it up on your computer. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him... What's the next word? Watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. What, what was this centurion doing there at the cross? What was his job? What does it mean when it says he was watching Jesus? What was his assignment? What, what was he trying to do? To, to, to keep his eyes on him, keep his attention fixed on him so that the disciples couldn't come and steal him. His, his job was to guard Jesus so that no one could take him down off the cross, to make sure he stayed right there. And did you notice that there was an impact on the centurion as he fixed his eyes on Jesus? He said, surely this man was what? The Son of God. See, there's something that happens when we train our attention or fix our focus on Christ course, we can't see Christ literally like the centurion did, but we have a way of seeing Christ today. How's that? It's through the Word. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass or in a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. see, as we look, as we behold, as we observe Christ through the Scriptures, day by day, we're transformed into the same image. And so Jesus said, I want you to go make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them how to observe what Christ taught all through these pages. By the way, it's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? I mean, everything from Genesis to Revelation is Christ speaking to us through the Scriptures. And He wants us to be able to fix our focus, fix our attention on the things that Christ has taught. I'd like to take it just one step further. How is it that we can help a new Christian or someone that's been a Christian for a while learn how to really fix their attention, to be able to concentrate, to be able to focus on the Word of God in the way that this is talking about? Turn to me to Acts chapter 16. Here's another place where the same word used in the Great Commission shows up. There's, there's many places. They're very interesting word study. Acts chapter 16, verse 23. You'll find the same exact word used in the Great Commission in this verse. This is Paul and Silas. They were at Philippi. They had just been arrested. You remember they were singing in prison and and the whole story. Uh, Anyway, verse 23. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to what? Keep them safely. It's the same word that's used in the Great Commission. What was this jailer's responsibility what was he assigned to do to keep them make sure that they did not get out of the prison make sure they stayed there in fact he knew his life depended on it because when the, there's an earthquake and all the doors were open they thought that the prisoners had escaped he was ready to take his own life he realized his life depended on whether or not he could keep them safely there in the prison I, I believe that we really need to teach every new Christian how to keep the Word of God locked up so firmly that no one can take it from them. Uh, every new Christian should be taught how to keep the Word of God locked How do we lock it up? Do we put it behind bars? Do we lock it up in a, in a safe or a vault or something like that? How do we lock up the Word of God so no one can take it from us? Well, the way we do it is we lock it up in our mind. God wants us to have the Word of God imprinted in our minds so that no one can take it from us. Look in the book of Jude, another example. Many places this word shows up. Jude, verse 6. It's talking about the angels that fell from heaven. The same exact word. It's translated a little bit different, but you get the same idea. The angels which kept not their first estate, that is, the fallen angels, the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he has, what's the next word? Reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. See, God wants us to reserve or chain or lock up or imprison the word of God in our minds so that we will not lose it so that no one can take it from us, so that we can fix our focus, fix our attention on the things that are in the Scripture, so we can meditate on it constantly. How many new Christians, when they first are baptized and join the church, how many of them are taught how to do this? How to hide the Word of God in their hearts and train their their focus, their attention on the Word, so they're constantly meditating on Scripture? What would happen if If we could somehow do that, take every new member that came into the church and teach them how to have a living connection with the Word of God. Can you imagine what a transformation that would take place in our church? You know, uh, this idea of keeping God's Word locked up in the heart is, is found all through Scripture. It's not just one or two isolated verses, but it's all the way through from beginning to end. In the Old Testament, you'll read verses like, Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, and these words, which some of you know these, I see you nodding your head. These words which I command thee this day shall be where? In thine heart. Deuteronomy 11.18, therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart, in your soul. And uh, Proverbs 7, my son, keep my words, lay up my commandments with thee, bind them on thy fingers, write them on the table of thine heart. Job 22.22, 22, receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thy heart. I mean, over and over, God's saying, I want you to take my word and hide it in your heart. Lay it up, store it inside. Let thy heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. It's not just in one ear and out the other, but learn how to take hold on the word of God. To hold it fast. In uh, Proverbs 4.13, it says, take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go, keep her, for she is thy life just like that jailer our life hinges on whether or not we can keep hold of the word of God you find the same kind of language in the New Testament for example in first Thessalonians 521 it says you know the verse it says prove all things what? hold fast that which is good in uh, Titus one nine, it says hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught in 2nd Timothy one thirteen, it says uh, holding fast the faithful word. I mean, you see this whole same idea again and again of hold fast, hold fast, keep it. Don't let it go. Make sure that you're keeping it, you're guarding it, you have a chain. It's locked up so that no one can take it from you. This theme just runs all the way through from beginning to end. In fact, even in the book Revelation, you'll find this several times. Revelation three eleven: Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown." What, what Jesus was giving us in the Great Commission was clear instructions about how to finish the work. That if you want to finish the work, here's, here's what you do. You go make disciples, baptize them, you, you lead them to Christ, you give them the information they need to make an intelligent decision for Christ and they're baptized, but then you teach them how to keep, how to guard, how to hold fast to the Word of God. And if we did that, if we just followed those simple instructions can you imagine what a transformation it would take place in our churches? You know, in the book First Selected Messages on page 187, there's an interesting quote. I think I, yeah, here it is. Listen to this. First Selected Messages, page 187. This just blows my mind when I read this. All that was done and said by Jesus had this one object in view. Now, that's a pretty interesting Opening sentence, right? I mean, everything that Jesus did had this one goal, this one purpose, this one objective. You want to know what it was? To rivet truth in their minds. What does it mean to rivet truth in their mind? Not for them just to hear it, not for them just to have been exposed to it at one point, but to rivet it in their minds that they might attain unto everlasting life. See, Jesus knew that if truth could somehow be riveted in the mind, it would lead to eternal life. That's powerful. In the, in, uh, the 1888 materials, on uh, page 194, right in the middle of this whole uh, big controversy at Minneapolis, you know, in the 1888 general conference session, Ellen White made this interesting statement. She said, The Bible and the Bible alone, laid up in the heart and blessed by the Spirit, can make a man right and keep him right. There's only one thing that can do it. There's only one thing, the Word of God, but it has to be laid up in the heart and blessed by the Spirit. Nothing else can make a man right or keep a man right. And Jesus in the Great Commission is saying, go make disciples, baptize them, but don't just leave them there. Go teach them how to observe, teach them how to keep, teach them how to guard my Word so that no one can rivet it in their mind so they can attain to everlasting life. Help them to keep it laid up in the heart Because that's what makes a man right and keeps him right. See, the Great Commission was a brilliant strategy to change the world. But we've missed it. We we haven't really understood what Jesus was saying sometimes, I I think. I uh, found an interesting verse one time. This is in 1 Corinthians. Look at this. You, I, I won't just quote it for you because I want you to see it. It's pretty amazing. I've been memorizing for a while. That somehow I just never noticed this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 1 and 2. Now some of your Bibles it will say hold fast, but some, in the King James it says something a little different. Very interesting. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. By which also you are, what? We're saved. We're saved by the gospel. But is there a condition? By which also you are saved if you, King James says, if you keep in memory. In other words, it's not just enough to hear it. It's not just enough to make a one-time decision, but it needs to be kept in the memory. We need to hold fast to it. We need to keep it locked up, to observe it, to, to guard it. Because, you know, it's very easy to let things slip, isn't it? Hebrews two one. Wherefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. It's so easy to let things slip. And Jesus wanted us to be able to learn how to hold fast to the Word. If we could somehow do this, I'm convinced it would revolutionize our churches. In fact, I've had people... Many people over the years have told me that just learning how to memorize Scripture has changed their life, their life more than any other thing that they've done. I've had many people tell me that. And, and, and I think the Bible teaches the same thing. Turn with me to John chapter 14. This, this word observe or keep or guard, it's translated many different ways. You'll find this three times in this chapter. Now, in John 14, you'll know Jesus is about ready to go to the cross, and this is the Last Supper with the disciples. In John 14, 15, 16, right through there, some important teachings that Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples. Look at John 14, verse 15. 15 and 16, really, they should probably be read together. The same exact word used in the Great Commission is found here in verse 15. If you love me, what? What? Keep, or guard, or hold fast to my commandments. And I will, what? Pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, even the Holy, uh, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, and so on. In other words, if you, if you love me, then here's the deal I'm offering to you. Keep my words, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will send you the Holy Spirit. Do we want more of the Holy Spirit in our life? Well, here's the condition, right? If we love him, then we keep his word, and he'll pray the Father and send us the Holy Spirit. The disciples didn't quite get it, so he comes back to them again in verse 21. He that has my commandments and what? Keeps them. It's the same exact word used in the Great Commission. You can, in the Greek, it's exactly the same. If you, if you, if you uh, have my commandments and keep them, you're, you're the one that loves me. He that, is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, how do you like that promise? It's one thing to say, yeah, uh, you know, he's going to pray and give us the Holy Spirit. But God's going to actually manifest himself to those that keep his words. You know, I really believe that we've got a lot of young people here. I believe a lot of young people lose their way spiritually because they don't see God manifested in their homes or in their home churches. They hear a lot of stuff, but they don't see God revealed in their parents' lives or, or whatever. And so they get discouraged. And, and they question and they doubt but the promise is that if we will keep his words, then God will manifest How do you like to see God manifested in your life? To see his power, his miracles working in, in different situations. Where you're, you're facing a decision, all of a sudden God speaks to you and a verse, comes right to your mind, you know exactly what to do, or you're praying, and God brings a promise right to your mind. You know God is speaking to you. Or, or you're talking with someone and counseling, and all of a sudden a verse comes right to your mind, just exactly the verse that that person needs. See, the, the more we hide God's Word in our heart, the more we're going to see God manifested in our life. Disciples still didn't get it. How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the word? They just didn't understand what he was trying to get at. And so again, in verse 23, the same thing. Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will what? Keep my words. The same exact Greek word. He'll, love, he'll keep my words and my Father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And this is maybe the most beautiful promise of all. This is that God himself is going to come and make his abode within us if we keep his words. There's a quote in uh, Desire of Ages it's on page 677, I believe. It says, it's through the word that Christ abides in the heart of his followers. Did you know that? Did you know that the way that Christ comes... We say, well, we just need to pray and invite... Do you know how Christ actually comes into the heart? It's through the Word. It's through the Word that Christ abides in the heart. And you're saying, if you keep my words, we're going to come and live in your heart. We're going to make our abode in your heart. Do you want to have more of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to see God manifested in your life? Do you want God to make His abode in your heart? Well, there's a very simple condition Jesus is trying to get across again and again and again. If you keep my words, if you keep my words, if you keep my commandments, if you keep your mind fixed on my words, I'm going to do these things for you. Ellen White in the book Christ's Object Lessons makes a comment on this verse. She actually quotes verse 23, the one we just read, about keeping his words and he'll make his abode with us. And this is what she said immediately after quoting that verse. She says, "...the spell of a stronger, a perfect mind..." is brought over us. What perfect mind do you think that is that comes over us? It's the mind of Christ. See, when we're keeping His Word, when our mind is fixed on Scripture, and we're meditating on Scripture, the spell of a perfect mind comes over us. Do you want that spell of a perfect mind over you? I do. For we have a living connection with the source of all enduring strength. How do we establish that connection with the source of all enduring strength? As we train our mind to meditate on spiritual things, on Scripture, on the truths of God's Word, we are establishing a connection with heaven. Power is able to flow into our lives through that meditation on the Word of God. Did you know there's that much power in the Word? The spell of a stronger, perfect mind is brought over us for we have a living connection with the source of all enduring strength. We no longer live the common life, but Christ lives in us. He makes His abode with us. The Holy Spirit comes into us. God begins to manifest Himself enough. It's all connected with whether or not we do what the Great Commission says. Go make disciples, baptize, and teach them to observe or keep or hold fast, whatever word you want to use. It's a theme that runs all through the Scriptures. In fact, uh, it's going to be especially important for us that are living at the end of time. You know, in the Great Controversy, on page 593, there's an amazing statement. I was at Weimar, actually. And uh, we had several of our FAST teams going in different parts of the campus. And uh, one day, uh, one of the teachers at the academy came up to me and says, you know, Dan, we've been watching what you've been doing with the, with this FAST program, and, and uh, we've just sort of resisted getting involved. But the other day, we were reading in our family devotions. We've been reading through the book, The Great Controversy came across something that just hit us right between the foreheads, and, and we want to get involved. And anyway, make a long story short, this is what he read. Great Controversy, page 593. Some of you have heard this quote before. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Do you realize not one person is going to make it through the final testing period that comes to every soul if we've not first fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible? Cultural Adventism will not be enough. It's not going to be enough just to be at Loma Linda. Only those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will be able to stand. We have to have a living connection with the source of all enduring strength. There's nothing else. In uh, Revelation 3:10, it uh, talks about the same thing. You can turn there. Revelation chapter three, verse 10. So many promises, so many wonderful promises same exact word used in the Great Commission is found in Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept, there's that word, because you've kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee. In the same way that you've guarded my word, you've locked your attention onto my word, you've treasured my word, in the same way I'm going to lock my attention on you, I'm going to guard you, you're going to be the treasure of my eye during this time of temptation which is going to come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. This is how we are prepared for what's coming. It's not storing food in your pantry or getting an electrical generator. I'm not opposed to those kind of things. But but the thing that's going to really prepare us is what's going on in the mind. right? It's it's Whether or not the Word is, is fortified, whether it's locked up, whether it's chained, whether it's riveted into our mind. This is the only preparation. Here's one more quote I want to read. This is the book... God's Amazing Grace, page 187. This is another one of those... I mean, there's so many statements. You know how many statements are in the spirit of prophecy that talk about hiding God's word in the heart? I could just read quote after quote, but listen to this one. God's Amazing Grace, page 187. As your soul yearns after God, you will find more and still more of the unsearchable riches of His grace. Is that your experience? The more you study the Word of God, the more you look into the Word of God, the more glorious you see God to be, the more you want to know more about God. Here's the next sentence. As you contemplate these riches, contemplate what riches? Well, the glories of God that are revealed here in the Scripture, right? This is the glass that we behold. the glory. As we contemplate these riches, you will come into possession of them. Did you catch that? How is it that we come into possession of the attributes of God? As we contemplate them, as we meditate on them, as we fix our mind, as we learn to behold, learn to observe, learn to f- fix our attention on the, a transformation takes place in our life. This is, this is what the Christian experience is all about. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. There, there's a place for that, and we need to make sure people understand what the Bible teaches. But if we're not connected, if we're not looking and seeing the glory of God into the scriptures, A list of do's and don'ts isn't going to save anybody. There has to be a transformation. That comes by beholding, by learning to train the mind to to fix it on Scripture. Scripture has to be riveted into the mind to attain into everlasting life. You know, if we're serious about finishing the work, we have to go back and just look and see what the work is that we're supposed to do. Right? Go make disciples. Well, what's a disciple? Well, it's someone that has been baptized and that has been taught. Taught what? Taught to observe. Taught to keep the things that Christ said. Taught to lock them up in their minds. If, if we want to finish the work, we just have to get back to doing the work that we were assigned to do. You know, it's. it's I'm going to just be blunt if that's okay. Hiding God's word in our heart is not just a good option. This is something that the Bible commands us to do. We we just looked at 15 or 20 verses. I could give you a dozen more. All through the spirit of prophecy, all through the Bible, again and again God says, I want you to take my word and hide it in your heart. The reason I emphasize that this is something God commands, not just a good thing, not just there's lots of benefits. Yes, it'll help you with your memory. Yes, it'll help you with temptation. Yes, it'll help you in your prayer life. Yes, it'll help you in your witnessing. Yes, it'll help you in lots of benefits, okay? No question about it, but it's commanded. This is something God has instructed us to do. You know why I emphasize that? Well, several reasons. One is if God commands it, then we know that he will also supply the power, right? All his biddings are... Enabling's Every command is a promise. God's not going to ask us to do something and not give us the resources and the abilities to to see it happen. And God has created us with the capacity to be able to memorize Scripture effectively. I, I guarantee you, if you use the right methods, you can learn to memorize Scripture successfully. But there's another reason. This is what I want to focus on tonight. And here's where I'm going to have to get a little blunt. Many of us do not really live by... Scripture. We live by our societal norms. In other words, if you're part of Advent Hope, you look around and see what everyone else is doing in Advent Hope. If most of the people are vegetarians, and you become a vegetarian. If everyone dresses a certain way, they don't wear jewelry or something like that, and that's what Advent Hope does, and you're part of that group, that subculture, then, then you do the same thing. And it's great when the values match with Scripture right? I mean, that's great. I I, I hold those values. I think they're important. But what happens when there's something the Bible clearly teaches, but it's not something that's a part of the norm in Advent hope? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is where we discover whether or not we live by Scripture or we live by Advent hope. It's when there's a difference, When when we have to make a decision for ourselves, am I going to do what the Bible says even if no one around me is doing it? And I believe God wants us to live by Scripture. Advent hope is is great. Loma Linda is great. Being an Adventist is great. But, you know, none of those things are going to save us. We need to get connected with Scripture. And that needs to be the source of power in our life. That needs to be the motivating factor behind everything that we do. And when we realize that this is something God commands, then we don't have to stop and look around and say, what is everyone else doing? Are all all my leaders in Advent Hope, are they all memorizing? That that has nothing to do with it. That's not even an issue. You you, you understand what I'm saying? And so I want to challenge you. Yeah, we're just starting the weekend, and we're going to go into this in more detail as we go along, but I want to challenge you to, to go home and just open up your computer and Type in a few words and, and see, see what the Bible says about memorizing Scripture. See, see what the Spirit of Prophecy says about hiding God's Word in heart. Just see for yourself what God really wants us to do. And make a decision based on what you see for yourself in the Word of God. Not what I've shared tonight, but, but what the Bible really says. Make a commitment that we're going to do what Scriptures, Not just talk about it, not be hearers, but doers. Is that too much of a challenge? Just ask you to go back and see what it actually says and make a commitment to, to do what, whatever it is you find. Because I know what you're going to find. I know what you're going to find. But we need to make a commitment, an individual commitment, not just a peer pressure thing, not just a, you know, this has to be something that we individually commit to doing or it's not going to last. It's not going to work. You'll start, May do it for a while, may do it for a year, may do it for six months, whatever. But somewhere down the road, you get busy with your studies, exams, or work, whatever. Have a little baby or something. It keeps you busy. And, you know, and and it'll just drop off. We can't do that. We can't do that. I pray the Lord would help each of us to dig into the Word and, and see what God is saying to us and live our lives by Scripture. By Scripture. May the Lord help us to do that.